Rithrun. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Marlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is God's word. Morning, everyone. Um, let me add my welcome. My name is Matt Fuller, but we're in Ruth, which is a lovely place to spend uh, the book of July. And uh, let me pray as we uh, start together. 
Hey, great God and Father, thank you for this much-loved narrative. It's much-loved because uh, we can feel the pain, we can feel the disappointments, we recognize the frustrations of the main characters here, we recognize the folly of the mistakes they made. We recognize that despite all that, you're kind and you're good. And pray even this morning, Father, we'll begin to see your goodness shining in the darkness of these women's lives. Father, we pray it so we would keep turning to you and trusting in you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Really, and that's it. If you get nothing else in the next month, the month of July, the book of Ruth is primarily, I think, here to remind us, or if we're not yet persuaded of Christian things, to tell us, that God is kind. It's one of the defining marks of who he is. The Lord is kind. Now, there's lots that happens in the book of Ruth, lots of important themes. But above all else, that's what it'll tell us. And even when life goes wrong, even when you may feel like Naomi at the end of our passage today, call me bitter. God has been miserably kind, unkind to me. God has been harsh with me, says Naomi. You can know that despite that, he is still kind. There's kindness around in the dark moments. There's undoubtedly kindness that we'll see more clearly in the future. The Lord is kind, and not just in a sort of expected way, Above and beyond, he's generous in his kindness. But we've got to do a little bit of work to orientate ourselves because this is a little time ago, this narrative. So let me just do a quick uh, uh, when, where, what. Uh, when are we? Chapter 1, verse 1. We're in the days when the judges ruled. Okay, so it's the Old Testament and it's the land of Israel and the judges rule. There's no king at this time. When the judges rule is a miserable time. So you can see just at the end of the book of Judges, uh, over the page, the very last verse, verse 25 of chapter 21, uh, in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. 400 years the judges rule and it's a nadir in the nation's history. If you just go back, read the last two chapters, it's miserable. It's a brutal period. Women are raped and no one does a thing about it, just treated as property. There's civil war, just brothers fighting brothers, just for land, just for status. It's utterly depressing. So that's when we're writing about. It's not a, not a great time in the life of Israel. Where are we? Well, we start, not for very long, but we start in the promised land. We're in the land, and we're looking at a family from Bethlehem in Judah. Now, important to recognize, I won't bother showing you a map because I don't care about that. Because the point about Israel at this, in this story and the point about Bethlehem is the, the, the land is not just a place on a map uh, there that you can point to. It's the place of God's blessing upon his people. He tied in the Old Testament, in his promises, in his covenant, the land was where they were going to be, 
but will receive all sorts of good things. It was going to be a place of rest, a place of freedom from enemies, a place of abundance, abundant food, abundant drink, abundant wealth. It was the place where you'd live life to the full. It's a place of blessing. Now, as we sit here this morning, Mayfair is, well, whatever you make of Mayfair, uh, affluent, pleasant. Uh, England is a green and pleasant land, whatever you may make of that. But it's not Israel in the Old Testament because uh, it's not the place of blessing. So we have to be a little bit careful how we read that. Uh, even if you're a Christian here this morning, you don't live in a physical promised land. So some of these blessings that are tied to the land in the Old Testament, we need to recognize on this side of the cross and resurrection, the, promise, the blessings come when you come to Jesus, you find them in him. So Ephesians 1, every spiritual blessing found in him. They're found in part in the church, in the church family, community. Many of the blessings of Israel are found in the church. But ultimately, we find them in the promised land of heaven, the new creation, ultimately. So we have to have those three little things in place when we think about the land as well. Uh, lastly, so that's when and where. Lastly, what's going on? There's a famine. There's a famine in the land. And sensitive readers should say, well, why is there a famine in the land? Isn't this meant to be a good place? Isn't this meant to be uh, the place of blessing? Yeah, yeah. But God had always said to Israel, if you disobey me, things will go wrong. And if you read a chapter, particularly something like Deuteronomy chapters 28 and 9, if you disobey me, there'll be famine. God had told them that. It was very obvious that that was what's going on and that's what would happen. The Lord would turn away from them, withdraw his blessing. And that's what's going on at this time. So the key issue really in chapter 1 is, what, which way are the people going to turn? It's slightly hidden from us in our, our translation, but the same little Hebrew verb for turn, uh, shuv if you care about such things, is here a dozen times. So whenever you read turn or return or go back, it's the same verb, that verb 12 times. It's the writer is saying, if you that's the thing that's going on here, okay? Which way are the people going to turn? To the Lord, and then he'll bless them again, or away from him, and things will go badly. That's the issue. Because in the Old Testament, whenever you read repent, or return, or turn, it's always this same verb. To return to the Lord is to repent. So if we understand it rightly, by the time we get to the end of chapter one, I guess one of the things, the most obvious point will be for you and for me, living in the 21st century, turn to the one in whom there is every spiritual blessing. Turn to Jesus. That's a sort of obvious big idea. But we're going to look at this turning. So four different ways of turning in this chapter. A family turned from God to pagan Moab. The destitute three women wonder which way to turn. Uh, Ruth turns to the Lord of blessing. Naomi returned, but still struggled to trust, okay? Turning, turning, turning. Which way are you going to turn? We'll work them at a uh, decent lick. Let's go then. First then, in verses 1 to 5, a family turned from God to pagan Moab. Now, what do you do if you're in Israel in the Old Testament and there's a famine in the place, the promised land, which is meant to be a place of abundance and blessing? What do you do? Well, if you've read your Bible, you know Deuteronomy 30, you return to the Lord. You say, 
this is our fault. We've done something wrong here as a people, as a nation. We need to return to you. But this family don't do that. They turn to Moab. You think, well, okay. Why not? Again, that's not a neutral statement to turn to Moab. Moab is the enemy. Moab spiritually is the enemy. Numbers 25, they've persuaded Israelites to give up God and turn to the pagan gods. Militarily, just you turn back into Judges uh, chapter 3, the Moabites brutally subjugated Israel for decades. It's the story of big fat King Eglon, if you know that one. So Moab is the enemy. So when this family say, oh, there's a famine here, let's go to Moab, it's not, it's not, oh, I've lost my job in London, I'll try and find work in Paris, which is completely neutral. Well, sort of. Um, uh, it's a bit more like I've lost my job in London and what I'm really going to do is I'm going to go to Afghanistan and, and seek life under the Taliban. You don't, you don't want to do that. Or, I don't know what I'm going to do, I've lost my job in London, but there's a really good post advertised in the Kremlin. I think now's a really good time to go and work for Putin. He seems like a benevolent employer. I'll go and work for him. No, you don't do that. But it's that, but more acute here. You're to go from Bethlehem, literally the house of bread, that's what the place means, to Moab, you're saying, God, give up on you. I'm putting my faith in this despicable regime that's hated us for years. It's not a neutral decision that's being made. So um, here we go. Look, my, this, is, this is, I mean, this is the best slide I've ever produced. So I, 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 that should have, that should have, I mean, you know I'm useless at these things. That should have got a minor, ooh. Um, but this is the decision of chapter one, okay? Which way are you going to turn Bethlehem, it's the promised land, it's God's blessing, it's the place of rest, it's the place of plenty, that's where you get life to the full. Or Moab, the land of curse, God's enemies, place of hostility, place of rebellion, place of slavery. Which way are these people going to turn, return? That's the issue in chapter one. Maybe we'll leave that up just to admire it. Um, okay, so this, this pagan family. Let's pick up a bit of pace then. What's, what's, what, what happens to their lives when they go there? Verse 2, now we get their names, and um, some of them, not, not, not names I've discovered in the top 10, uh, Marlon, Kilion, um, Ruth, of course, is a popular name, Orpah, not so good. Anyway, feel free to take that for your next daughter, Orpah. But uh, they turn away from Bethlehem. Again, on a human level, let's not be too unkind on them. That is entirely understandable. We've got nothing. People say there's, People say there's cash, there's food over here. We'll go over there. On a human level, come on, we get that. They shouldn't have done, but there we go. Verse 3, oh, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Got two sons still. They married Moabite women. Tangent, shouldn't have done that. Again, Deuteronomy 7, explicit, don't do that, don't do that, don't marry Moabite women. Anyway, one named Orba, the other named Ruth. After they've lived there about 10 years, both Marlon and Killian also died. Naomi's left without her two sons and her husband. Now, the narrative gallops quickly, but 
10 years? Husband dies. Two sons marry. Oh, that's good. Wasn't sure about him. Always had my doubts, but he's managed to find a good woman. Thank goodness for that. They both, two sons die. There's no grandchildren. I mean, that's 10 years of infertility as well. I mean, wow. The narrative goes quickly, but here's a family who have known a lot of pain and disappointment and frustration. So when we get to Naomi's ranting in a moment, I don't know, how would you have done? She's known a lot of blows in her life. Now, just one little note of caution. Um, The family of Elimelech, they've suffered enormously when they've turned away from the Lord. But I imagine plenty of families, we're not told explicitly, but I imagine plenty of families did what they did in the famine. They went from Bethlehem to Moab and probably did okay. You cannot draw a line, biblically, between uh, a rejection of God, a sin, and a bad consequence. You're just not allowed to ever draw that line. John 9, for example, uh, there's a man blind and his disciples say to Jesus, uh, is it his fault or his parents' fault? Whose fault is it this man is born blind? And Jesus says, you can't say that. He's just blind because in a fallen world, people are blind. Don't say that. You can't draw that straight line, okay? However, stupid decisions often have consequences. We just know that. You get in a car when you're drunk too much, that's a stupid decision. It often has consequences. But you can't read the Bible that way. But terrible decisions are always wrong. And again, for us at this time in history, we're not in Israel. If you're here as a Christian today, the Old Testament faith is tied to physical locations. To leave Bethlehem in Judah for Moab, that is to walk away from God. So if you're a Christian, that is to reject Jesus and walk away from him. If you've never been a Christian, that, that's how you've lived your life. You've just walked away from the place of blessing, the Lord, away. But it's always a mistake. And perhaps you know, we need to learn the lesson of this family. They thought they were going for a little while. Verse 1, just for a while they've gone and they ended up being there 10 years. And sometimes we do that silly thing. We think, I, I know this isn't the best decision I'm going to make. I know this is a bit stupid what I'm doing right now. But it's just for a little while. And next year we'll get ourselves back on track. Well, sometimes stupid decisions become a habit. So we might think, well, life is in crisis. We're in a famine. At the moment, God is of no use to me. And I need to go to Moab. I need to... Ignore what God says and take things into my own hands to sort stuff out. That's always a mistake. Always a mistake. Don't turn away from the place of blessing. That is Jesus. Don't turn away from the place of blessing. That is gathering with the church family. Don't do that. Turn to Jesus. But it's easily done, isn't it? I think of a dear friend... He um, is not a Christian. And he's always said, 
Every now and again we'll have a conversation, but he's always said, you know in the end, my mother died when I was five. When life is that miserable, how can I ever turn to God? Yeah, I understand. But that deep wound, it's not the end. That's not the end of his, God's dealings with you. It's not the end of his kindness. You can look forward. A family turned from God to pagan Moab. That's a mistake. Let's pick up the pace a bit. Secondly, then, uh, verses 6 to 15, the destitute women, they wonder, which way are we going to turn? And that's the bulk of this chapter, really, in verses 6 to 15. Which way to turn, return, go back? Are you going to go back? Are you going to turn with me? Uh, it's always the same word, as I said. So verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. It's interesting. Naomi recognizes that God has been kind. He's come to the aid, but anyway. With her two daughters, she left the place where she'd been living, set out on the road that would take them back, return them to the land of Judah. Now, uh, we get their misery on one level. Okay? All the men in the family have died. It's just infertility, just miserable decade. But in this culture, it is a deeply patriarchal society back then. Um, and land is tied to the men. So they're going back to Judah. Well, let's go and get our land back. But Elimelech has died. His two sons have died. Women going back, they have no right to the land. So it's not just that they've suffered bereavement upon bereavement. They've got nothing financially. So when they're going back to Judah, they are going back as asylum seekers, penniless. All they're going to be able to do is beg. So there is... We need to know that. I know we don't like the fact that society was run in that way, but uh, I know that. But we need to feel their anxiety, their desperation, their helplessness as they're on the road. But God has come to the aid, and so they're going to go back. Verse 8, as they draw near to the border crossing, Naomi seems to have been stewing on something on their journey. So verse 8, Naomi says to her two daughters and Lord, go back, return, turn, each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show to you kindness as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Kindness, 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 this big theme. Go back and find a husband because I can't give you one. They say, well, um, verse 9, the second half of, she kissed them goodbye, they wept aloud and said to her, no, we'll go back, we'll turn with you to you and your people. So Naomi says a second time, verse 11, return, turn home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to you, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for you, for, excuse me, for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Oof. That's, that's quite a statement. Okay, and what's she talking about, these husbands? If they're going to inherit Elimelech's land, the only way is if Naomi has another son and they marry Naomi's son. Well, you're going to wait for him to grow up? If you stick with me, you can't marry because as soon as you marry another guy, you leave my family. So what you're saying is you're going to be husbandless, 
childless for the rest of your lives? Is that what you want, sticking with me? And I, can you, I don't know how strong the appeal was, clearly for Orpah and for Ruth, but Naomi is saying to them, look, go back. <laughs> go back. Just go, because you've got family back in Moab. You've got your customs back in Moab. You've got, like, the food you know, the culture you know. You come with me, you've got nothing. You could remarry back in Moab. You've got nothing with me. But Ruth replies, verse 16, and this is in many ways the, the, the great gem of the chapter. Ruth replies, don't urge me to leave or to turn away from you, turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if my death separates you and me. So here we have 30 Ruth turns. The women, they wonder, which one are we going to do? What are you going to do? Ruth turned to the Lord of blessing. It is an extraordinary declaration she makes. I'm with you. Naomi, I love you, and I choose widowhood, and I choose childlessness, and I choose asylum seeker status, and you. It is extraordinary. <laughs> that is a magnificent kindness from a young woman, as we see in the rest of the chapter, uh, the rest of the story. She could easily have found another guy to marry in Moab. It's stunning commitment, kindness. And Ruth has also noticed something about the Lord. It's quite a declaration. May the Lord, that is Israel's special name, not just may God, may Yahweh, may the name that God has revealed to his people. She's become a believer in the God of the Old Testament here. And so Ruth says, I'm going to follow that God, your God, Naomi. And because I follow him, this seems like the right thing for me to do. It is a very costly decision. You think in the language of the New Testament, Jesus saying, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Naomi, excuse me, Ruth is saying, I'm going to leave behind my gods, my culture, my custom, my family, my sister-in-law, or maybe that's a good thing, who knows. But she's leaving all those things and saying, I'm with you, and I'm with the God of Israel, and I'm just trusting in him to provide. It's the first massive turning point in the book of the Lord restoring uh, Naomi's blessings, Ruth's costly decision to turn. She left all she knew and went to the place of blessing. So comparable, I guess, is for you and me to turn to Jesus, in whom is all the blessings of forgiveness, acceptance, promise of heaven. Turning to him, which may mean and has meant for some, turning away from culture we're familiar with, family who upset with us. It may appear a costly decision, but we'll get there in later weeks. It's one these women, Ruth, never forget, never regrets. 
Ruth returned to the place of, to the Lord of blessing. Last, Naomi. Naomi returned, but she still couldn't trust. So verse 19. The two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. So why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Oh. Very striking how this is written. The two women went on, verse 19. But then, really, verses 20 and 21, it's as if Ruth isn't there. I mean, Naomi just vents. Call me Mara. You know, who's the other woman with you? Shut up. Let me just get this off my chest, as it were. But right next to Naomi is the one through whom all blessing is going to come. Now, she's returned outwardly. And outwardly, I guess she's the same woman, just a bit older. Inwardly, she's definitely the same woman who left Bethlehem. She's still unable to trust the Lord. And her demand for a change of name summarizes her view of what she thinks has happened. Now, people I disagree slightly about this, the commentators disagree slightly, but what do you make about Naomi in chapter one? Positively, she gets some stuff right. Verse six, she recognizes that the Lord provides, food has come from him, he's in charge. Positively, verses eight and nine, she blesses her daughters in the Lord's name. Verse 9, may the Lord grant you. So there's some sort of appeal to him. So she's not given up her faith. But negatively, I guess, she's been involved with her husband in taking the family to Moab. Negatively, verse 15, probably is the Nadir in one sense. She encourages her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Yet yeah, Orpah's given up on the Lord and gone back to pagan gods. Why don't you do the same? I mean, that's not great advice. Negatively, clearly, she's bitter towards the Lord. But I don't know what you think. I, as I read this, I, I don't want to be too hard on Naomi. Sure, she's not Job, you know, the great sufferer of the Old Testament, who suffers all sorts of deprivations, all sorts of life going wrong, and says, well, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. She's not Job. But what would you do? What would I do? Pain. Loss, bereavement, disappointment, disappointment, disappointment. And that's been your life for a decade. I don't know. Even at the end here, when she's talking about, look, the Lord has brought misfortune upon me, she still calls him the Lord. (laughs) There's still recognition that there is God, that he is in charge, just... He's been unkind to her. I think she's an immature believer. I think. That's what we make of Naomi at the end of chapter one. She's an immature believer, deeply frustrated by the disappointments of life. Although, if I'm honest, I still think I'd rather hang out with her in her emotional honesty than a superficial person who says, yeah, life is fine, and just won't even tell you what's going on. I think the Bible commends in many places, you pour out your frustrations. But you get to the end of chapter one, you say, okay, so this is a book about God's kindness. Where is God's kindness? 
(laughs) Because chapter 1 is a profoundly sad chapter in the Bible. It's a narrative of pain, misery, loss. But it's not where the story ends. There's three chapters still to go. Where is God's kindness? Let me say two things. It's present and it's coming. It's present and it's coming. So here in chapter one, God's kindness is present. They just don't know it. God's kindness is present to Naomi because Ruth is stood there next to her. And through Ruth, her life is going to be blessed immeasurably. She's going to sing of the Lord's goodness by the end of the book because of all the good things that come to her through Ruth. Blessing is there. God's kindness is there. This wonderful daughter-in-law who says, I'm with you and I'm never going to leave you. The kindness is there. She just can't see it. And God's kindness is often present to us through his people. It's often that way. Lots here will know. Eight years ago, uh, an Adir in our family, we lost uh, the little girl, Yasmin, that we had adopted. She'd been lived with, she lived with us for a year, and then the adoption order was, it was overturned, and um, it broke us. But uh, lots of people were kind. But the day after the news came from the courts, I think I'll always remember one friend who, after work, drove up three hours, the motorway, spent 90 minutes with me. I'm not sure he said a word. He just listened. And after 90 minutes, drove back. So he's ready for work the next day, six hours of driving for 90 minutes of me being miserable. Oh, it was a very special kindness. I can't tell you what that does. And um, there are some here whose kindness, sorry, I'll never forget. Sometimes in the bleak moments, yeah, we, the kindness obviously comes through God's people. It's present, often through others. It's coming. God's kindness is coming. You get to the end of chapter one. If you gave up on Ruth chapter one, you'd say, well, that's a bit of a miserable story, isn't it? You're not meant to give up after chapter one. You're meant to keep going for another three chapters. Um, you know, pretty much in every list, Shawshank Redemption, a list of people's favorite films, the, you know, the top 50 favorite films, it's always number one or two of people's favorite films. Some people like, like to be pretentious and go for something obscure. You know, oh no, the Thai classic of 1960, there's nothing, but yeah, whatever. Um, but it's always in the top five. If you watch the first 20 minutes of The Shawshank Redemption and gave up, that's a miserable film. It's a miserable film. A bloke is wrongfully accused and goes to prison. And then is someone, you know, they attempt to rape him in the shower. It's a miserable film. What a miserable film. You get to the end, everyone loves that film. Everyone loves the film because of what happens as you work your way through it. It's, it's the ending. It's the ending where Red finds him and they, oh, it's a magic film by the end. We're just at the beginning of the book of Ruth. Naomi is going to receive extraordinary kindness at the hands of the Lord. The one who says at the end of chapter one, I am empty. Her arms will be full by the end of chapter four. And the source of that is stood next to her. Blessing is present. God's kindness is present. It's coming. For you and for me, turn to the Lord Jesus even when it's costly. He is the place of blessing. Some you get straight away. Some, I mean, you read 
You know, if you read Charlotte's testimony, you can read Lizzie's on the back. Oh, I, becoming a Christian, it straight away, enormous blessing in forgiveness and contentment. Even straight away. Oh, yeah, God's kindness, it comes. It comes immediately. It comes through his people often. But it's coming. Ultimately, of course, no matter how much you enjoy the Christian life and it ebbs and flows, the blessings chiefly remain in the future when we enter into the new creation and see him face to face. As the New Testament will put it in Titus 3, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. God's kindness has come in Jesus. We'll see it most obviously or experience it in part now, but most obviously when we stand before him. So God is kind, and the best is still. It is still to come. Turn to him, Ruth one would say. Let me lead us in prayer. Hey, great God and Father, thank you for this lovely story that uh, in many ways we could do without it in the Old Testament. It wouldn't ruin the flow if it wasn't there. It's, but it's extraordinary of you, extraordinary tale of you being kind, taking this family out of miserable circumstances, in their case partly due to their foolish decisions, but taking this family, and particularly Naomi, out of misery and demonstrating kindness upon kindness until the one who said, I'm empty, can declare at the end, the Lord has given me fullness of joy. Father, help us this morning, over the next few weeks, to recognize you as kind. And no matter where we are at the moment, to keep turning to you, we ask in his name. Amen.